Thanks, Wilson. <clears throat> they say he gets a good looks from his dad. I don't know if that's right or not. <laughs> I, know, I know he gets his brains from his mother. So how's everyone today? Y'all good? Yeah. Yeah, this, this uh, 1115 service, um, I can't say it's my favorite, but I do like the energy. And I just think if everyone went to bed an hour earlier and got as much sleep as you guys, then... Oh, hey, it is, uh, it's exciting to be together and you know, it, it's not about excitement even. It's not about cheering. It's not about us all, uh, you know, feeling good. Like we would feel if we were at a ball game or our team's winning or something like that. What this is all about really is experiencing God. It is about experiencing his presence it's about, it is about our understanding and knowing more about God, but not, not in and of itself. Knowledge in and of itself is not the goal. It is understanding that is the goal. And then experiencing his presence and allowing him to touch us and allowing him to teach us and allowing him to rearrange the way we think, the way we view life, the way we treat other people. But walking in a walk where we're, where we're living and walking in his presence. And so what I want to ask you to do right now is pray with me. And uh, I'm just going to invite God's presence again. And just in a personal way, agree with that, okay? And just uh, right now, Father, we, just, we, we come amazed that we can come into your presence. We're here. We, we just we state right now that we're amazed. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you. Uh, Lord Jesus, we can't believe it uh, when we read that you came into this earth, that you left heaven and you became one of us so that you could pay for sin and break the power of sin and provide change for us so that we could have new hearts and become new people and experience and live in your righteousness. We just thank you for that. And if you're here today, and, and that whole idea of uh, whether you're righteous or not, if that's like you're, if like you're suffering with guilt, you're a Christian, you've trusted Jesus, you've accepted Jesus into your heart, but you live every day feeling like you're letting God down. I just, I, right now in Jesus' name, I free you from that, and I pray a, a deeper understanding from the Holy Spirit of the righteousness of Christ. And what that means to say that he embeds his righteousness into us. And Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're God present with us. Holy Spirit, touch us and speak to us. Change us. Make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, I was thinking this week of something that happened um, in about 2007, 2008, uh, we were worshiping here. We had moved into this building, and the place was packed, um, you know, kind, kind of like it is right now. And it was during the worship set, I was up here on sitting on this side of the, where I normally sit. And as everyone's worshiping, and, um, and, and there's just all of this life happening, I was standing there, and I was looking around, and I, and I was saying, Oh, God, what are we going to do? Uh, look, look at all these people, and how, how do we how do we minister to everybody? How do we, you know, what do we do to make this church what you want it to be? 
And I'm thinking about internal structures and systems that are developing or that we need or things that, that, we, that we don't have that we need to begin to do. And in the midst of that, God spoke to me. And he just said two very simple words, but it was very clear and very pointed. God spoke to me and he said this. He said, it's mine. That's all he said. Just that one time he just said, it's mine. Now you could go a lot of different directions with that. You could say, well, it's his, therefore I better work harder. You know, it's his, so I need to be more diligent, or it's his, so I need to be more holy, or, or on and on and on. For me, what that meant at that moment was, he said, it's mine. And so I said, well, does that mean I can give you the keys? <laughs> it's yours. Okay. Are you aware that some of the tires are wearing thin? Do you know that? Are you going to take care of that? You know, can you handle that? Uh, how, how about, you know, I've heard this bump in the transmission, Lord, and... Uh, and, and, but, but he said, it's mine. And what that communicated to me was that he's the one that cares for the church. He's ultimately the one that has brought the church together and brought any body of Christ together. And that we can be at peace. Of course, we serve and we, we work and we, we put energy in. But there's a difference between us putting forth effort that is frantic and uh, uh, operating on the belief system that we have to make it happen. That's different than just joyfully serving, trusting God to make it happen. Do you see the difference in that? On the one, it's all fear and anxiety. On the other, it's peace and it's joy. And we need to understand the peace and the joy of serving. We need to be able to serve and, and to give and to relate to others and to share the gospel just with peace, with God's joy. And, you know, peace and joy, uh, peace particularly, I believe, and joy also, they are related to courage. They're very closely related to courage. Sometimes it is when we uh, express the courage to take a step of obedience that we then begin to experience the peace and the joy. And other times the, the peace comes, and then because of the peace, we have more courage. Sometimes the joy comes because we've exercised courage and walked in God's peace, and then joy comes as a result of that. There's a verse in the Old Testament where uh, there was this big change point. Uh, the, the leader of the nation of Israel's name was Moses, and he was one of the great leaders in the Old Testament era. And he's, it's, he's come to the point that Moses has died. And so they are going through this great transition of leadership. Two million of them have been wandering through the, uh, the, the desert for 40 years. And now a new leader is coming into power. New leader is coming into this position. His name is Joshua. And here's what God says to Joshua. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so there's no need to be afraid. There's no need to fret. There's no need to worry about how things are going. It's all about trusting God because God's with us. 
And here they were in this situation. Joshua and uh, these two million people are getting ready to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. And uh, as they do that, that's going to take tremendous courage on their part. For one thing, this river was at flood stage at the time of year. The river was at flood stage. The very first thing that had to happen before, before they could cross the river, and if you know this story, uh, if you don't know the story, let me tell you in short, God stops the river from flowing. He like puts an invisible dam upstream so it says that the water stood up. And that means there was some barrier there that kept the water from flowing so they could cross over uh, this riverbed on dry ground. But what had to happen before that water stopped flowing was this. The priests carrying the ark had to step into the river. Now, have you ever seen a river at flood stage? How many people here have watched one of these uh, disaster shows about floods? Yeah. How deep does the water have to be to sweep someone off their feet? Not very deep. 12 inches, 14 inches, 18 inches, not much. So it took courage for those priests to step into that water. And even for Joshua, I mean, just think what would have happened if the priests with the Ark of the Covenant had stepped into the river. And here, this is Joshua's big leadership moment. And they had just been washed downstream. I mean, that would have, you know, that, that would have been, wouldn't have really enhanced Joshua's chances of actually leading this group of people. Huge risk there. Now further... Across that river live their enemies, the Canaanites. And, and they were a fierce people, warriors. And the only thing that separates this, uh, this nation of two million people from their deadly enemy is a flooded river. And so now God's going to take that barrier away and they're going to cross over into enemy territory. That was a huge risk as well, just doing that. You'd feel so much safer having that flooded river between you and your enemy. Now, for their sake, it, uh, they were fortunate God had already gone ahead of them and put fear into the hearts of the Canaanites because of everything else that God, done, God had done uh, un, under Moses' leadership and, and as, as the Israelites uh, wandered through the desert and approached Palestine. But they're entering into this new era of life. They're entering into this new era of the fulfillment of God's promises to them. And what we see later, when they do go through the river in Joshua 4, Joshua memorialized this event. He built a memorial so that they would remember what had happened. And here's what it says. It says in, in Joshua 4, Then Joshua said to the Israelites, well, what had happened was, uh, let me back up. Uh, he told 12, 12, uh, 12 people from each, one from each of the tribes of Israel to pick up a stone from the riverbed. And they took those 12 stones and they built a, a little pillar at a city called Gilgal, which was just on the other side of the river. And Joshua said, anytime your children pass by this, they're going to know something happened here. But what they also did was Joshua went back into the river, and while the water, before the water came back, Joshua built a pillar right in the center of the river, in the riverbed. Now, what's going to happen when the water returns? Th that pillar is going to be covered. It's going to be hidden. You're not going to be able to see it. And yet, that's exactly right where God had worked. That's where the miracle took place. 
And no one's going to be able to see that. That's kind of in the unseen realm. But what they built at Gilgal was visible and seen. And he tells them here in Joshua 4, Then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future, your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God, talking to their children, saying, He's your God. Lord, your God dried up the river right before your eyes. And he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. Now stop right there. I, I like the, uh, the, the switch of the pronouns from you to we and the, the fact that they're, they're talking to their children. Your children are going to ask this and you're going to say to them, he stopped that river so you could cross it. Have you ever, uh, when, when your children get older, have you ever reminded them of something that happened when they were younger that they don't remember? Don't you remember that time we were at your grandma's house and, and we had that special whatever? Did, have you ever done that? That's what he's talking about. Because these children, some of them are, are young enough, they're not going to remember this. They need to be reminded of it. And, and they're going to, if they're reminded, they'll be able to pull it back into their memories and they'll be able to remember, yeah, that's right, I do remember that. And so this stone, this pillar was a, a memorial for remembrance of what God had done. And then he goes on and he says, he did this so all the nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful and so you might fear the Lord your God forever. Two things God's concerned about are both illustrated in that, in that verse. One is the nations. God cares about the nations. And as Israel's crossing the Jordan River, going in to take possession of the promised land, God's concern wasn't just simply for the nation of Israel, but ultimately for the nations of the world. He wants the nations to know who he is. And that all happens through Jesus. And now with the, uh, the message of the cross, that Christ died on the cross to break the power of sin so we could be forgiven and restored and renewed and changed internally and come into the kingdom of God and have authority to welcome God's kingdom into this world. Now, we carry that message to the nations, which is spoken of here that the nations would know. And then he says also, so that you will fear the Lord. So God's care, concern is also for the individual, that we would all know, and that we would know who he is. And fear means reverence, honor, respect, that we just, when you recognize who God is, and, and you, you begin to enter into this new understanding of your relationship with him, God cares about the individual as well as uh, caring about the, um, the, the nations itself. But the thing I want us to get is this. When we look at this, there was a memorial built that was hidden, and there was a memorial built that was visible. And it was the visible memorial that pointed to the invisible memorial. It was the memorial that what, what could be seen reminded them of what God had done that was now hidden, that was unseen. And that's how God works. God does things in the visible realm to show us what's in the unseen realm. And he works in the visible realm in order to release and to demonstrate to us 
what is there in the invisible realm. That's why Jesus went about healing, healing the sick, actually, in Matthew 4, 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so Jesus goes about healing the sick, freeing the demonized, opening eyes of the blind, raising the dead, all visible expressions of the kingdom of God, of God's rule on this earth. And as he does that, he proclaims the unseen kingdom. He proclaims that which is breaking into this world, but is not yet fully visible. And so the memorial that Joshua set up was something that attests to the work of God and to the release of the kingdom of God into this world, the seen pointing to the unseen in order to stir our faith and our confidence in who God is. And you know, that, that what Jesus did and uh, what's being illustrated here in Joshua is really why the church exists. We, we don't exist to try to keep people in line. You know, to try to keep us all from sinning or anything. We exist for the purpose of living to the glory of God and demonstrating the unseen kingdom through our lives. When, we, when the sick are healed, that's a demonstration of the unseen kingdom. And faith is stirred. When the poor are fed in the name of Jesus, that's a demonstration of the unseen kingdom. The kingdom that is becoming seen. It is becoming visible. Because of our lives and our actions. When we love each other, in the name of Jesus, the unseen kingdom is being made visible in this world. And it's important that we, as a church body, memorialize things even. Uh, so, so this message really uh, is like a memorial stone type message. And um, that's what I want to talk to you about for really for the rest of our time is just how God brought about the beginning of Vineyard Church Northwest, how we started. Because right now, uh, in 2015, we are halfway through our 14th year of existence. Church started in the summer of 2001, the spring of two, late spring of 2001. And uh, so we're, we're, we're halfway through our 14th year. Now, why is that significant? Well... It's only significant because in the Old Testament, when God wanted to talk about years, he taught them to look at years in um, groups of seven. And so they looked at years seven at a time. And every seventh year, the intent was that they would rest, that they would let the land rest, and that they would, just like every seventh day was a day of rest, the seventh year was to be a year of rest. And so we're halfway through our second seventh year period and the, the last year in that period. Now, that's true. And if, the, if that applies to us today in, in some sense, which I think it does, I, the things in the Old Testament that were given like that were given as illustrations for us, sometimes analogies for, for us to look at and to understand how it applies to our lives today. But that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I'm going to rest. That means I'm not going to work in children's ministry anymore. doesn't mean that. In fact, uh, 
Anybody want to volunteer for children's ministry? I think I see Cheryl back here right now. It's a great place to serve. And uh, it doesn't mean that I'm going to quit leading my small group or I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. What, it, what, what we're talking about is the, the resting in heart, the resting from our labors, taking a step ahead in understanding it's not about us. Taking a step ahead in understanding it's not about our great strategies or our wonderful vision statement that we're going to reproduce and everyone's going to become so motivated because we have this catchy little phrase. It's not about us having the, the, perfect, the perfect outline of events that we're going to walk into over the next number of years. It's not about that. It's not about us trusting our own energy, our own ability to motivate or recruit or anything like that. We'll keep doing everything, but we're going to do it in just this greater sense of it's God's. You know, it's all God's. And we're going to trust him. We're going to trust him to give life and power and energy to everything. Whether we're worshiping, preaching, listening to a message, praying for the sick, going out, doing outreach, working in children's ministry, uh, working with the teens or in a small, we're going to trust God with it. That's what this means when we talk about rest. That this is a year for us, any of us, in our own personal lives who have felt hassled and harried and worn out by life and stressed out by life because life doesn't seem to be going as well as you'd hope and you just don't know how to get control of it. You just don't know what to do. And you're reading the books and you're, you're, you're listening to the TV programs that try to give the answers, but you just can't get control of it. This is, this is a year for you to sit back and to say, okay, some of these things might be things I need to do. They probably are, but I'm going to do them, but I'm rested in Jesus. I'm trusting him. He's my peace. He's the only one that can part a flood river, flooded river. And so many of us are facing things that just feel like, man, this is a flooded river. If I take a step ahead, I'm going to be swept away. And what we need to do is to say, okay, God, I'm not going to follow my logic or my reasoning, I'm going to trust your logic and your reasoning. And, and I'm going to do what you ask me to do. That takes courage. It takes courage to obey God. I'm going to obey you and I'm going to step ahead trusting you. That's what this year is about. That's what a year of rest for us is. Rest in the spirit. Rest in God's work. In us and through us. That applies to us as a church as well as uh, to us as individuals. Well, many of you know this um, this story, but some of you uh, don't. I mean, there are a lot of people here who have come in the last year or two, and, and I think it's important that we all hear this story periodically. But Lori and I moved here to Cincinnati, and uh, uh, three of our children moved with us in 1999 and uh, came here from Champaign, Illinois, where I was on staff at a vineyard uh, church for five years. That's the vineyard that we're going to for this Holy Spirit conference. And uh, we came here uh, because, first of all, God had called us to the city of Cincinnati. And Lori and I, in, in, in really asking what's God have for us in the future, we decided that it just didn't feel right to us to say, well, let's find the best church we can find no matter where it is that would, would have us. And let's go there. We thought, no, we, really, it's, it seems more consistent for, at least for us at that point in time, 
to say, God, what city do you want us to go to? We want a city that we can go to and we can say, you've called us to this place. And so God really put Cincinnati on our hearts. And in the process of, of praying about that and identifying Cincinnati, uh, we came into contact with a couple of different churches down here. But uh, one that things really we really began to connect with. And after, oh, I think it was eight or nine months of candidating and conversations and emailing and conference calls and visits, uh, this church extended what's called a call to us. And that means they... They asked me to be the senior pastor of the church. And so we moved here in 1999, summer of 1999. And um, it, it didn't take long to, to recognize that in spite of the fact that both sides, we had been as open as we possibly could about who we were and where we were going to lead. And, but it, it just didn't work. Uh, there was there was just the, the vision that I had just wasn't really meshing with uh, the totality of that church body, and um, it, it, and I look at it as kind of like a false start. And so after like eighteen months of being there, just realized you know this is not this is not moving ahead. And in order to pursue the vision that God's given us for. A certain type of church in Cincinnati, we needed to step aside from that church. And so that's what we did. And uh, the, they were good people, godly people that loved Jesus. Um, they, they treated us well in our departure and blessed us and helped to, to helped us through the kind of like the gap of employment and, and all of that. So I'm uh, very thankful for that church. But um, several months later, a few months later after that, uh, we began to enter into the phase of starting this church. And I I had been in relationship with Steve Shogren and Dave Workman at the Tri-County Vineyard because of my vineyard history in Champaign. And uh, Dave agreed to be the sending pastor, and Steve Shogren agreed to be the uh, church planting coach. And uh, that that was a real blessing to have both of them um, endorse it and be part of it. And so... About that time, we just started a prayer meeting in our home. And the very first prayer meeting we had had uh, six people. And after a week, I think two of them decided that it wasn't for them. And and in just a good-hearted way, you know, shared God was leading them a different direction. But so, so we started off with these six and then four. And then we opened the prayer meeting up. But we opened it up in a way that um, we said that anybody that wanted to come that our message to them was they needed to stay where they were. They needed to stay in the church they were at because we believed then and still do believe God's primary will is not to leave a church because I'm upset or because things aren't going the way I want them to or whatever. The only reason to leave and go somewhere different is because of vision. It's because of call. It's because of values. And so we met with a lot of people and shared that message with them that... um, We wanted them to come, but only if they were being called to the same vision and values that we were being called to. And over the course of that time, that that small group grew. And uh, we started looking for a place to meet and uh, just couldn't find any place. I mean, we would spend days driving around, stopping at any building that looked like it could hold 50 people and couldn't find anything. No churches, schools, not open. Um, And finally... I was driving past this little church called Springdale Chapel up on Springdale Road, and I saw someone in the parking lot 
pulled my car in, got out, said, hey, we're starting a vineyard church. How would you all feel about having us meet in your building on Saturday nights for a while? Because that was our plan to meet on Saturday nights initially. And within, uh, that was a Thursday. By the next Tuesday, they had given us permission to use their building. So it was really cool to not have to encounter a whole lot of church bureaucracy that would take like uh, weeks or months for them to make a decision on this. And so we started meeting there on Saturday nights. And uh, during that time, God, God brought people to us, brought gifted people and skilled people to us that really formed a core uh, for this this new church. And th- that that was something that was a point of, um, yeah, real kind of almost like anxiety, I think. Lori and I, at uh, one point before, before we started this prayer meeting even, we went to the mall, the Northgate Mall, and we sat down at a booth, and we started writing down, what all do we need to start a church? All right? How many small group leaders do we need? Um, how many prayer team members do we need? Uh, how many people do we need for finances and ushers and people to do set up and tear down because we're probably going to be in some sort of a temporary setting. And we ended up with a list of 35 positions that we, children's ministry and teen, we ended up with a list of 35 positions that we needed to fill to start this church. And I think we both walked out of there feeling kind of like, how could this ever happen? You know, where are we ever going to find 35 people that would want to be part of this? And and it was shortly after that that we started this prayer meeting, and the prayer meeting did grow pretty quickly. We ended up at Springdale Chapel in June of 2001, started meeting there. Very first meeting, there was this young guy that came that, uh, uh, as I got to know him, found out he was a worship leader. And uh, that he's a little bit burnt out on it. So I just thought, okay, let's just let him come and get some healing and we'll just see what happens. But eventually, by the end of that summer, that was Tyler Brown, our worship leader. And uh, Tyler uh, very graciously and very naturally kind of moved into that position of worship leading. Uh, God brought us other people that were just key people. Ray Strecker, who uh, developed the video that we're going to watch here in just a few minutes. Uh, Ray was part of the church uh, up until the time that he and his wife Carol um, moved uh, moved their church uh, a, a membership down to Lavinia in Price Hill, which is a church we planted and encouraged people to go to and to serve at. And Ray and Carol uh, had hearts to do that, and so they're at Lavinia right now serving. But uh, Ray came along very early in uh, this process and had a, a great influence on everything that uh, developed. Um, there, there was one thing that happened about this season of time uh, that is, was kind of indicative of the future, I think, and of, of really speaks to the core of what God called us to. Uh, we were having a meeting in our home. I can't remember if it was a meeting to train small group leaders or if it was a meeting about prayer ministry, but uh, half a dozen people there. And as I'm leading the meeting, I feel this increasing sense that God wants me to give a message in tongues and that uh, I, I need to just tell them that and then pray in tongues. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this young, sharp, professional guy sitting across the room and I'm thinking, if I do this, I'll never see that guy again. <laughs> you know, this will be the end. He'll be gone. And uh, so can't we like do this maybe later, God, or something? And uh, 
But God just kept pressing that on me. So I said, okay, I'm going to go for it. Announced it, gave the message in tongues, led, led the group through the interpretation of that. And, um, and nothing dramatic in the outward sense. But later that uh, evening, we prayed for one of the women in the group. Her name was Beverly. And she had had um, a severely damaged ankle. And, uh, and again, she didn't shake. She didn't fall out of, out of her chair. Uh, there was nothing like that. But the next week, she came back and she said, after you prayed for me, after it wasn't just me, but it was several of us, after you all prayed for me, I didn't sleep all night long. And, and it was God was doing some real deep healing in her heart uh, over some just some, you know, we all we all need deep healing in our hearts, don't we? <laughs> I mean, we constantly do. And uh, but over the course of that night, as God was just speaking to her, and she was experiencing God's presence, just being awake all night. God healed her ankle. And so she had to go see her therapist a couple days after that. And the therapist asked her to do this exercise that she had not been able to do the week before. And when she said, well, let's see you know, how you do with this. And uh, she was able to do it without any trouble whatsoever. And she said the therapist just standing there literally just dropped to the floor. It was a, a mat, I believe, dropped to the mat and just started examining her ankle, just studying it, you know, just from inches away and touching it and looking at it. And then looked up at her and said, what happened? And she said, and, and I like I like things that are understated. OK, if, if you've been around here for very long, you know that. But uh, she, she approached that in an understated way. She said, well, you gave me that treatment last week. I think it was like an ultrasound treatment. And the therapist said, there's no way that did this. She said, what happened? And then Beverly said, well, I got prayer at my small group, and I really felt like God touched me, and I, I, God healed my ankle. And it's just an amazing thing uh, to see when you see things like that. And, you know, things like that have been happening all along. We haven't captured all of them. We're going to start capturing more and more of these. But um, it, it, we, we, we continue to meet at spring. Oh, and by the way, that's a promise. When something like happens, that happens at the beginning, it's more like, okay, there's more to come. It's like God saying, all right, let's just get this. Let's just show you this is what's going to happen. Bang, there it is. There's more to come. And we're still pressing into the more to come. We are. But... Uh, we met there for several months. Uh, in the meantime, we made contact with the YMCA. And if any of you knew the Y back in those days, this would be like 2000 and late 2001, early 2002. They had a large room in the basement that was totally concrete, concrete floor, wall, and ceiling. It was like an echo chamber. And um, we made the offer to the Y that we would pay to have the acoustics all corrected in that room if they would rent the room to us. And we entered into a negotiation phase with them. Now, I, I didn't know this until a few years later, but th- there have been other churches that had wanted to meet at the Y that it, for one reason or another it didn't work out and they weren't allowed to. But when we went, the assistant director to the Y was a young woman that um, knew the Lord in the same way we do, just knew Jesus and had been part of a church plant in Michigan. And so she was all excited about us wanting to you know, plant a church. And that kind of gave us, uh, that helped us get some momentum and some traction there. And 
It ended up after, I think, 10 months of negotiation and work, we moved into the YMCA. That would have been like on Palm Sunday, 2002. Uh, And I remember the first week we were there, we had 135 people. And it was awesome because on Saturday nights, we had gotten to the point we had averaged 85 or so, 80, 85, 90 would be a really good night. But then moving to Sundays, uh, and from there, the church just grew. And uh, God brought people. We saw people saved. Uh, we saw other people healed. There was another dramatic healing that happened at that point that I also look at as kind of a memorial stone type of an event. And by that, it's a promise. It's a promise. Not only did this happen, but it's going to happen. And God is faithful. And that was a woman that had a tumor, uh, a clearly identified tumor scheduled for surgery and received prayer. And it wasn't until it was in the pre-op room and they were trying to put a wire in to find the, the, the tumor in her breast. And, and they were trying to find it and they couldn't find it. And then it was one of those deals where, well, we need to do this test again, and we need to do that test again, and, and what happened? And some, but she had been healed, and that, that, that cancerous tumor was just absolutely gone. And that, that, again, is like a promise that God gives to us. Well, as we, uh, as we continued to meet in the Y, and the church grew, and we, we were searching for our next step, the next place we were going to go. And I uh, came to the point that uh, we were just about maxing out the YMCA, or at least it felt like it. And on one Sunday morning during worship, uh, when we were at the Y, for some reason I sat on this side. Now I sit on this side. I don't know why, but, uh, well, I guess the offices are over there. That's why. But I was sitting on that side of the auditorium in the Y where we had the way we had it set up. It was packed. And again, I'm, everyone's worshiping, and it's joyful, and, and just exuberant worship. And I'm standing there thinking, oh, God, what are we going to do? What, what are we going to do? What am I going to do? How, how are we going to find a new place for these people? I don't know what to do. We can't grow anymore here. And we're looking, and we can't find a place, and what are we going to do? And so I'm fretting, and um, God spoke to me very clearly. And that time it was two words as well. And it was just simply this, test me. It was just simply that, test me. And if if, uh, you don't know this, there's a verse in the Old Testament where God very clearly spoke and said, uh, test me and see if I won't pour out blessings. And if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out more blessings than you can contain. And two more times that day, totally out of the blue, when I wasn't thinking, I wasn't praying, oh God, was that you that spoke to me this morning or was it just my imagination? Was it just my own mind or what? But two other times that day, those words just appeared in my brain out of nowhere, test me. And then again, later in the evening, test me. And that gave me courage. You know, to have God speak to me like that gives me courage. And it brings me back into that, okay, this is the seventh year. We should live in the seventh year today. That's the deal, okay? Like the seventh year they rested from their labors. That's, how, that's where we need to live every day and every year. And when we come to a year like this, it's just kind of like a time to bring that to our attention that we always need to live trusting God not ourselves, not our own labors or efforts. It's God's blessing that we're looking for always. 
And so that strengthened my heart. It was shortly after that that we uh, were able to purchase this property. That's another whole half hour story. Uh, but it was a God story, let me tell you, that we got this, this piece of ground. Uh, an elderly gentleman lived here. And uh, to cut to the, to the end of the story on this, he basically told his realtor he wanted to sell it to us. We had, we had been inquiring John Green. Um, many of you know John. He, he's been a trustee in the church since the beginning, and he was looking everywhere. And uh, he had made contact with this gentleman, and he told his realtor he wanted to sell this property to us. So we were able to purchase this property. And uh, then we went into an, a, a season of time where we planned this building. And we went into this kind of building emphasis and it was a very exciting time because we're entering into a new phase of life as a church. And we've seen people saved and we're seeing people come and we're seeing people get renewed in their faith. And, and we're thinking, well, we're packed out now. What do we do? Let's create more space so that more people can come and, and come to know Jesus and get renewed in their faith. And in, in the process of that, as we got the building plans put together... Uh, and working with banks, there was only one bank that would talk to us because we didn't have a five-year history. Banks like you have a track record, even though uh, one accountant told us we had the best church books he had ever seen of any church he had ever worked with. So we had really had really handled things well and kept kept great records. But um, we needed to come up with six hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a one-day offering. That's what the bank said. That we had to have that much money to put down. And, and we had spent all the money we had on this property, so there was no money. And so we went through, I, I would hate to call it a campaign. It wasn't really a campaign. Um, it wasn't a typical um, approach to things. But it was all about, you know, we're in this together. This is where God's working. This is where we're headed. And let's all be part of this. And our emphasis, I think, was... More than anything else, everyone pray and give what they can so that when we get this building up and we enter it, everyone can cheer. Everyone can be part of the celebration. If all you can give is $10, put it in. And then you, you're going to know that you honored God and did what you could and you'll be able to cheer with us when we and, and celebrate with us. We came to a day where we had a special service at uh, Celebrations, which is a... Um, a reception hall and, and, a, and, a, and several of them around the city, but um, the the couple that uh, one of the owners welcomed us to celebrations, and um, we went there. And we're gonna you're gonna see that in a video here in just a moment. And in the one day offering that we needed six hundred fifty thousand dollars in, we received over seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Which is amazing. Wasn't that awesome? Yeah, that was God. That was God. That's right. Yeah. And uh, people, people were willing to sacrifice because it was, it was a new beginning. We were seeing God work. People gave, obviously gave stock, gave cash. People gave jewelry. People gave coin collections and family heirlooms and, and property. Gave property. That then the church uh, sold and used, but um, it, it was just a very exciting thing to see and exciting time to be part of things. And, and I do want to say this, that if you weren't here at that time, I don't want you to feel like you were left out. 
You know, first of all, God knew you were coming and he did it for you. And so you weren't left out and there's more to come. There's more God's going to do here. And we're going to talk about that next week. We're going to catch up on the, the last several years and, and where we're headed uh, in the future and what we see that, um, what we believe God's saying that, that, that it'll take to get there. But um, this was just an exciting time. It's been so exciting to see what God's done here. We have this video that really is a memorial stone video. And uh, we're going to watch it here in just one moment. But... Um, yeah, you'll see some faces of people like the Streckers who are now down at uh, Lavinia and other people who s- some may be at other churches now serving. But uh, this is just a wonderful remembrance of everything that God has done here. Let's watch the video, then I'll come back up in a moment. that encourages you. God's faithful and he's good. Uh, but we're going to worship now. So the worship team, if you'd come on up and get ready. If you've noticed, there's a camera set up over here. Uh, what we want to do after the service is have um, oh, a couple dozen of you line up over there and just give little one, two, uh, three minute me- uh, testimonies about what God's doing in your life. You know, how, how has God touched you here? What brought you here? And how's God working in your life? If there's been a healing, would like to hear about it. Uh, so if you got saved here, if you came to know Jesus here, would like to hear that, just to have it recorded. And then next week we'll show these, okay? And believe me, we will make you look good. We have good editors. If you stumble over your words, if you say the wrong thing, don't worry. It'll come out looking, looking awesome. So let's stand and worship.